1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer Worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. How the pandemic is making income inequality worse and how to make everything taste better. I talked to celebrity cookbook author Bob Bloomer about making flavor bombs. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The New York State Attorney General says Governor Andrew Cuomo's administration undercounted coronavirus deaths in nursing homes by as much as 50%. The state puts the number at more than 8,700, but according to the Attorney General's investigation, that only includes the number of deaths at the facilities and not the residents who died in hospital after being transferred there. More than one-third of all coronavirus deaths across the U.S., about 140,000 are linked to nursing homes. Here in Canada, 80% of all deaths were in long-term care in the first wave. That number is now about 60%. Still with the United States, more American Zoomers are planning to postpone retirement because of the pandemic. According to SimplyWise, a retirement planning website, 32% of 50-somethings and 21% of people in their 60s have decided to put off the end of their working careers, a big jump from just a few months ago. The analysis points to lost income and the uncertainty around the recent surge of COVID-19. The new Biden administration in Washington is putting anti-slavery activist Harriet Tubman on $20 bills. The banknote featuring Tubman, who was born a slave around 1820, was supposed to be unveiled last year, but that effort was delayed under Donald Trump, who branded it, quote, Pure political correctness. Tubman replaces former President Andrew Jackson, a slave owner. Remember your avocado-colored appliances back in the day? 70s homeware was loud, eclectic, and it's coming back in style. There were loud prints on the floor, geometric shapes, and a special commitment to earth tones like brown, orange, and green. And wallpaper at the time was later called a mistake. But bit by bit, trends like macrame rattan and house plants are coming back in style why the 70s now there are a few reasons for many zoomers it's a connection to our childhood but for most covid lockdowns are creating a desire to bring the outdoors inside and that includes plants and earth tone shades in our decor Scotland's oldest woman got vaccinated for COVID on her 108th birthday. Marion Dawson has lived through two world wars and the Spanish flu. After getting the shot, the centenarian said, I didn't feel a thing. The nurse who administered the needle also popped Marion's birthday balloons to celebrate the historic moment. Scotland has started to vaccinate the over 80s and Marion was among the first. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The pandemic has dramatically widened the income gap between rich and poor in Canada. That's the conclusion of research from the CIBC, which found that low-paid workers suffered the vast majority of job losses while there has been a surprising increase in higher-paid jobs. I talked with economist Benjamin Tull.
2: This has been the most asymmetrical recession in Canadian history in terms of the pain experienced in the labor market. All the jobs lost during this crisis uh, were lost in uh, low-wage occupations. However, the surprise was that we have seen no less than 300,000 jobs being created during the recession in high-paying jobs. So the income gap that has been already wide to start with, has widened during this crisis. That's something that we didn't expect.
1: All the people who lost their jobs, according to your report, earned less than $14 an hour, and all the gains were above $41 an hour.
2: Yes, I think that uh, if you look at the distribution of wages, we look below average and above average. The average uh, wage, uh, hourly wage, is about $29 uh, in Canada now. So we look at uh, below $28, and we have seen a lot of uh, job loss in this environment. And then above that, and most of it was uh, in the neighborhood of $40 uh, per hour. So. On an annual basis, uh, those are people making about $70,000, $80,000 a year. That's where we saw the gains, the most significant gains.
1: And the $29 an hour, what does that translate annually?
2: That's uh, about uh, 40000 $45,000. Yeah.
1: Oh, so not exactly uh, wealth.
2: No, not exactly wealth. And that's exactly where we saw the job loss, unfortunately.
1: What are the kinds of jobs that were created during this recession?
2: That's a good question. We are looking into it, but it's uh, technology, it's communication, it's finance. It's the winners of uh, this uh, kind of crisis. You have to realize that two-thirds of uh, the economy now is in full swing V-shaped recovery. One-third is stuck in this L-shaped recovery. So the crisis relative to other um, recessions is very deep in its um, Damage Very, very deep, but also very narrow. The number of industries that are deeply impacted is smaller than what you see in a regular recession. And that's one of the reasons that we hope that the recovery will be relatively fast the minute we get the vaccine.
1: On the other hand, we keep hearing that a lot of the essential workers who are most at risk of getting the disease are low-paid workers in places like warehouses and uh, food plants and transportation. Uh, So uh, how does that jive with your finding?
2: That's exactly what we have seen. First of all, we have seen some of the jobs being created in uh, low-paying jobs. We all know that. But unfortunately, more jobs in low-paying industries were lost. So all the damage in the labor market, all of it, 100 percent, was um, found in low-paying jobs, unfortunately. So this uh, gap is widening. It also means that uh, you see a lot of cash in the system because high-income individuals are able to save this money, and they're not spending it, unfortunately. And the hope the hope is that uh, when we see the light in the second half of the year, some of this saved money, excess cash of more than $100 billion, will be spent on services exactly where you need the money, exactly where you need the jobs. That's the hope for the second half of the year. If you look at the trajectory of this recession, retail sales are basically higher than they were uh, in uh, February of last year. Retail, mostly goods, because you press a button and you get whatever you want. Services is what's missing, and that's where you see most of the jobs uh, being lost. A lot of them are small business employees, unfortunately. That's really a recession that is hitting dramatically small businesses, and it's not going to recover anytime soon.
1: What about the CERB? What does... What do those figures tell you about the kind of supports that the government is offering?
2: The big question is to what extent the government is spending too much. We are talking about a situation in which, relative to any other OECD country, the Canadian government is spending a lot of money. Just to put it in perspective, uh, for every dollar decline in wages, the government of Canada spends $7. That's a significant amount of money. In fact, we are number one among the OECD countries in terms of government spending. Now, you might suggest that that's the right thing to do, especially given the fact that the, the Canadian government uh, started the crisis from a very good fiscal position, relatively speaking. However, you always uh, you know, need to ask the question, to what extent some of this money is being uh, used uh, not in an appropriate way, namely wasted to an extent. Maybe there is some abuse in the system. We know that But at the same time, we have to realize that the government government put together in five minutes a program that's supposed to take five years to develop. So clearly, it will be uh, full of holes, and we are trying to fix it as we go along.
1: In light of your findings, do you have any recommendations for policies that the government should be pursuing?
2: One thing that I need to say is about small businesses. We must make sure that small businesses have a rental solution that works. One of the reasons why we lose so many jobs and so many small businesses is because of the fact that, yes, they have the ability to enter the wage subsidy system, but they cannot pay rent. And if you cannot pay rent, you don't even bother with the wage subsidy. And that's why wage subsidies is underutilized. Rent is extremely important, and we are not there yet.
1: You are referring to a recovery in the middle of next year. As we speak today, we got even more news about vaccine delays. We have uh, reliable estimates that the government's uh, saying that everyone will be vaccinated by the end of September is not going to happen more like the middle of next year. So what happens if this recovery is delayed?
2: Yes, that's the fear. Uh, yes, September is the target. And at this point, the speed at which uh, we are vaccinating people is consistent with 20% of this rate. So we are not even close to reaching it uh, by September unless something changes quickly. And I hope that will be the case. However, we have to remember that uh, during the summer of last year, without a vaccine, the economy rebounded by 40% because the number of cases was very low. It was about three, 400 uh, a day. People felt more secure. They went out. Restaurants were open. Uh, Barbershops were open, if you remember. So we have seen a significant recovery. I suggest with a partial uh, vaccination and the summer coming, we will see another type of uh, strong economic activity. But you are absolutely right. Everything is about the vaccine. And we have to get our act together and make sure that this uh, vaccine is being distributed very quickly.
1: Benjamin Tall, really nice talking to you.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a pleasure.
1: That was CIBC economist Benjamin Tall. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, with most of us spending more time in the kitchen, some advice on how to put a flavor bomb in your home cooking.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
1: salmon in the dishwasher and made garbage pizza with old potatoes and other discarded vegetables. Cookbook author and TV food personality Bob Bloomer has learned from everyone from top chefs to faraway street vendors around the globe. He has tips we can all use in our home kitchens in his latest book, Flavor Bomb, a rogue guide to making everything taste better. I reached him at home in Los Angeles.
3: A lot so of friends uh, over the years, I've been having dinner at my house, and they say, and these are their words, not mine, but they say, how come everything tastes better at your house? <laughs> and, and when I stop to think about it, I realized that I'm, I've spent the last 30 years of my life eating my way around the globe. I've learned all sorts of tips and tricks and hacks and techniques from from everyone from street stall vendors to gumbo champions to fancy chefs here in California and France and other parts of the world and and I realized that you know all these things that I've learned from these various food communities have made their way into the way I cook into the style with which I cook and that, that a lot of things that I do are because I've seen other people do them and so really this is it's the sum total of everything I've learned in 30 years
1: Okay, so let's go through some of the techniques that really put in that flavor. And it starts with high heat.
3: Um, e- sure. Well, the, uh, high heat, If you, once you gain the confidence to cook over a higher level of heat, you can sear things, you can caramelize things in the oven. You know, caramelization is one of the great, great chef tricks. Um, and you, For example cauliflower has a lot of natural sugar in it. But if you steam it or if you cook it over a low temperature, those natural sugars just remain dormant. But if you cook it at a high temperature for a long time, you get that browning and that crust that makes um, everything taste so good. And it really is like the natural sugars that are caramelizing, hence the word. Um, And most home cooks Will stop and take whatever they're cooking and maybe caramelizing uh, out of the oven before it's really fully you know reaches its full potential of crust and browning and sweetness
1: interesting. I made something on the weekend, and I think for the first time, I actually waited till there was a crust on the mushrooms
3: mm mm-hmm. that 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 crust is that's flavor that's. You know, chefs are always saying fat is flavor. Well, for me, browning and caramelization and crust is flavor and texture, and it just makes it so much more interesting than having, say, a mushroom that's just mushy and sort of spongy and chewy.
1: Hmm. What about salt and salting?
3: Well, if you talk to any chef, they will tell you that, you know, people under salt. At the same time, my book is not based on salting and adding butter to everything. In fact, those are two... Th- I, I do talk about salting and how to, how to salt properly, how to compensate for having put in too much salt, um, how to salt and taste along the way. So I do pay a lot of attention to salt, but at the same time, that's not my... It's not only not my sole source of flavor for the book, but it's, it's one of the last things that I lean on. I do have a whole section of my book on what to do if you've oversalted, what to do if you've overspiced, what to do if you've put in too much acid. There are lots of tricks that I've learned.
1: You were referring to a, a risotto recipe where you make a, a pesto to boost it.
3: This is a recipe that I um, I learned about from the New York Times years and years ago when Lydia Bastianich um, was in charge of. Uh, all of the food for the Pope's visit to New York City. And it was in the spring, and she made him, uh, for one meal, a spring risotto with fava beans and ramps and Mm. peas and asparagus. She made a a pesto with ramps, which are like a spring onion, a wild spring onion, um, and some parsley and oil. And she blended that with a couple of other ingredients, and then just at the end, when the, the risotto was almost finished, she, well, I'd say drizzle, but she actually added like a, a quarter or a half a cup of this pesto and folded it in uh, to the risotto. And that just created this whole other layer of flavor.
1: There's this business about balancing acid and brightness and, and all of that. How do you, how do you get to that?
3: I would say that the one thing that distinguishes professional chefs from the rest of us civilians is the way they focus on the acid balance of a dish. Things I would not have even contemplated thinking about an acid balance in. For example, a soup. So if you make a soup, even let's say an asparagus soup, um, chefs will often finish it at the end with a little bit of a squeeze of lemon. So you make an asparagus soup you think you're finished, take a small, like a quarter of a cup uh, ladle full of that soup out of the pot, put it in a small bowl, squeeze a little bit of lemon in it, see if it tastes brighter and fresher to you, the, whole, the soup as a whole. And if it does, then you've discovered that that's a dish that could you could use a little more acid. in. You might even squeeze a little bit more and taste it again and keep... Keep doing that until you get to the point where you think, oh, this is a little bit too acidic. It's a little bit too bright for what I wanted. And that's a, that's a good way to teach yourself about acid balance. And you can do the same thing in a, you know, in a stew. on Almost anything that you cook, the chefs will always be adding a little bit of acid to balance it. Anything that has a, an element of fattiness or uh, richness.
1: Has anything about your cooking and your approach changed because of the pandemic?
3: I think we're all cooking a lot more and we all realize that our lunches and dinners are kind of sometimes the biggest source of pleasure in the whole day. So I I'm using a little more care and spending a little more time on all my dishes and I'm making sure that they feel life affirming.
1: Bob Bloomer. Thanks so much.
3: Libby. It's always a pleasure.
1: That was Bob Bloomer. His latest cookbook is Flavor Bomb, a rogue guide to making everything taste better. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.